You're listening to the High Performance Hoops Podcast, bringing you your one-stop shop on all things training, sports performance, nutrition for athletes, and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and help you crack the code on elite athletic performance with your host, Julian Lacosto. What up, fellow Hoopers, basketball enthusiasts, and coaches out there? Welcome to Episode 9 of Season 2 of the High Performance Hoops Podcast, brought to you by Challenger Strength. I am your host, as always, Julian Locasto. If you're new here, hit that subscribe button. If you've been here before, throw us a rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't. We love having you guys here. Before we get into this episode, a reminder to follow me on social media, at Julian Locasto, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for more content related to training and sports performance. And if you haven't already, guys, please go back and listen to some of our previous episodes from season one and two so far that you might not have heard yet, featuring some incredible, incredible guests. Today on the show, we're going to be welcoming on former NBL professional basketball player and strength coach Ben Anderson. For all those that are OG listeners to the show, Ben is no stranger to the show at all. You know, we used to have him on the show back in the day, so it's great to welcome him back on and get his opinion and and just listen to his experiences. So today we're going to be discussing his journey from the NBL to becoming essentially the basketball strength guy, uh, youth training and programming, and how to create buy-in with your athletes at the youth level, guys. So without further ado, I'm not going to waste your time. Let's get into this episode with Ben Anderson. What's going on, everybody? I want to take the time right now to welcome on former NBL professional basketball player and strength coach Ben Anderson. Welcome to the show, man. Hello, Julian. Thanks for having me back, buddy. (laughs) I know, man. uh, For all those that are listening, uh, again, Ben is no stranger to the show. Uh, Ben Ben was actually a part of the OG installment uh, several years back, so uh, he's no stranger to the show. Uh, so it's great to have him back on. It's really, it's really a great time, and uh, love having you here, man. Thank you. Yeah, I, I try to go back and listen to the, some of those episodes, but I don't think you can anymore. So it kind of yeah. bummed me out. But I, I can't delete them for some reason. I just like to see them. I loved, I loved the uh, the image that you had for the yeah. podcast, and I liked looking at the description. So I, I still have them on my phone, but I just can't listen to them. So, but that's, yeah. they're cool. Yeah, they're 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 discontinued. So sadly, nobody can listen to them. But I still have the recording somewhere, so I gotta pull it back up. But um, anyway, yeah, man. Uh, I feel as though everyone has their own unique story of kind of like how they got to where they are. Um, Ben, could you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to where you are today? Oof, that's a tough one, right? Uh, yeah, okay, so right. I I was born in New Zealand. Um, and then when I was three, my family relocated to Australia and at the age of six, they got me started in playing basketball. And, you know, I think that that's the perfect age when you start playing basketball. And I still remember the first basketball images that I recall, I recall seeing on TV was when, um, the, uh, the bulls beat the trailblazers, you know, for the championships. I remember watching their celebration and like, what is this? Okay. So that was my introduction to Michael Jordan. And so, you know, naturally, you know, as you're young and you're growing up and you're fortunate enough to have access to a hoop in your backyard, you, you go out there and you dream and then you live for your game that week. And it was just a beautiful time. So I grew up playing basketball. Um, I was very fortunate to have a family that allowed me to do that. And then I was able to play on some some really, really uh, cool teams and have some amazing opportunities. So the way things are structured there is you have your uh, domestic competition where it's just anyone can kind of sign up. And then, pardon me, from that, they pull um, or they ask the best kids from that that competition to play in what we call representative basketball, which is like a traveling team. So I was able to do that from the age of like nine or 10. And then from that, you kind of get asked or invited to try out for your state team and then that's just how our system works. It, it makes a lot of sense. So you start with this wide base of players and then you can kind of get to the elite level. And And I was I was fortunate enough to, to play on my state team, which was a huge deal. We took second in nationals in 2002. And um, I mean, I I grew up playing against Andrew Bogut. Uh, you know, we had a really, really talented group of kids. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them just stopped playing, you know, but I, I guarantee if, if, 
you know, they had the exposure the kids have today, you know, would, no doubt I would have had probably two or three kids at least in the NBA, you know, like Giddy who plays for the Thunder right now. Like he, um, he reminds me a lot of the kids that I would, I would play against, you know? Yep. So, um, yeah. And then from there, um, just fast forwarding a little bit. Um, I got to play, uh, at a semi-pro level for a little bit in Australia, moved over to America with the ambitions to play, uh, college basketball, um, things were going great. I got asked to red shirt. So then things went south cause I didn't know what that meant. And I was in a very, very small town and I'm just like, wait, so I can practice and that's it. And so I don't know, it just, maybe I wasn't mature enough. So I, I decided to withdraw from that experience. And then, um, through a series of random coincidences, uh, I was, I ran into a gentleman one day, um, at the gym, uh, from New Zealand and we were playing basketball and he was talking to me. He's like, you know, um, you know, you should try the New Zealand pro league and, and try to, to get there. Cause I feel like you'd be best suited for that league. And so I reached out and sent out, you know, tapes and, um, you know, my workouts and stuff to those teams and, uh, a former video coordinator for the Los Angeles Lakers during that three Pete with Shaq and Kobe, his name was Ryan Weissenberg. Um, he reached out to me and he's like, Hey, we want you. And I was just like, Whoa. So, I was able to play, uh, you know, play professional for a little bit in New Zealand, and then, uh, you know, bloody knees. My my knee didn't uh, agree with me, so um, so I got a season in there, and it was fantastic. Uh, that was Stephen Adams' first professional season playing basketball, but I don't think he was paid because he ended up coming over here to play college. Yeah, right? he was a Sorry, st- I think- stash player. That's right. Yeah, so he must have been like one of the uh, the unpaid kids because he was a local. But it was really cool seeing him there, you know, and knowing his story. Like, dude, that guy has been through a lot. I I yeah. was told that he was actually homeless for a little while, and and he was discovered that way, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and he's just such a good guy, and he's kind of like the man's man of the NBA now. So, but yeah, um, after my knee injury, um, I had already been certified as a uh, personal trainer at this point, but I didn't really know what my niche should be, what I wanted to do. So I was yeah. working at Gold's Gym um in in utah I was a utah franchise at the time and um then i got asked because people knew about my background they're like hey would you mind working with my teenage son he's a basketball player and that really opened the initial door um in terms of my mindset of okay what am i doing um and so i started working with these kids i would go to their games and um i would go to their games with a completely different set of eyes rather than going like to a jazz game, right? And being mm-hmm. like, man, I could be out there, you know? And you're almost like disgruntled and like, because yeah. the game was taken away from you. Um, then I could go and watch from a selfless point of view and watch these kids. And then I'm thinking about them rather than myself. And so that was a beautiful experience. And then that's when I got certified with Joe DeFranco and, and Smitty through the CPPS. And, um, you know, I did every certification they had to offer. So did the master's program through them. And it, it just everything just lined up from, mm-hmm. from then on. Um, so, you know, seeing like-minded coaches like yourself, um, you know, being in contact with them and then also just having the guidance of OB Smitty and, and Joe D and, and just their mindset of being former athletes, having a system in place on how to train athletes and then essentially just going out there and trying to be the best on your block, your street. You know, I think yeah. he says it in his, um, he says his it podcast in his, uh, intro. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what i loved about it so going from that then i had an opportunity to work with some uh basketball kids um in a different area so we moved and then you know here i am now and it's and now i've got really long waiting lists and i'm frustrating people because i can't get back to them the same day they try to reach out to me and so like i said on um on before we went on air I've got all of these other problems now but they're good problems to have because um we must be doing something right that you know, I'm, I'm able to, to work with so many, um, some, so many kids and college kids. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think your story is pretty unique in the sense that like you also were a former athlete yourself, um, and you kind of just like fell into it, but I want to kind of ask as a former player, you know, when did strength training become like that focal point in your development? I feel like especially with basketball players, I feel like the biggest stigma is that like your basketball players are almost like allergic to the weight room. Like they, mm-hmm. they go in there, they kind of go in, they get a little bit of a, an arm pump 
and then they yeah. kind of like leave because like they they're almost like allergic to the weight room. What was your experience like and how did you get exposed to it from a player's perspective? And then ultimately you did say like you kind of like broke into it um, as a trainer, like working at the old Golds franchise. But how did you ultimately get down the path of strength and conditioning? How did you know that that was something that you were going to be a part of? Um, it, I, I love questions like this because subconsciously I'm all, always thinking about them because I'm a big perspective guy. Mm-hmm. So if I get a little emotional, I'm sorry. But um, my parents, um, my mom taught like aerobics for a little while. My dad had a weight room um in our garage and he would take me up there at like seven or eight nine and he would have me do lap pull downs and he would say now visualize that you're you're ripping the ball down as a rebound and it started there julian um you know i had no idea what i was doing at the time but um through their exposure through their um good example and just providing this this atmosphere for me to do that and then and then this is the funny part. I think I've got body dysmorphia because of it, but you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, Rocky Balboa, Jean-Claude Van Damme, the mm-hmm. WWE. So Hulk Hogan, like I, I, those were my heroes growing up. Yeah. Right. So I always wanted to look like those guys, but play like Jordan. Now, yeah. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> those two don't go together, but then you see, like, do you remember the old Michael Jordan um, yep. uh, movies they would do? Yep. It showed him, you know, getting beat by the Pistons. And so what did he do? Tim Grover and him, they hit the weight room. He put on some weight, but it didn't affect his shot. And they say these things in those movies, mm-hmm. those documentaries. So I'm like, I, and I'm a sponge because this is, I consumed myself. It's just, I must have an addictive personality. So hearing Jordan talk about these things and, and then seeing the crossover with the athletes. And I mean, it just started me on this path. I'm like, okay, I wanted to be the best basketball player I could be. So naturally I probably did way more upper body than I did lower body. Um, But I started to get stronger. I started to excel in athletics with my basketball. And then, um, then I became like, you know, one of the, the best built athletes in my area and, and it helped me. So that was already ingrained in me. And as you're learning anything, you start to build essentially a database of exercises. You build mm-hmm. uh, opinions on what works, what doesn't, you know, and why. Um, I'm always reading articles. I had the Arnold Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia yeah. for Modern Bodybuilding. Like, I think everyone should have that, to be honest. But just constantly reading these, the best in their field and their opinions. And then it just helped me. So when, I always knew that I loved the gym. And so when my basketball career I felt was taken away from me, I'm like, okay, well, this is my second passion. Let me get into that. And I was in in that. And so when the basketball thing came up and then the CPPS certification was way more athletically um, inclined as opposed to bodybuilder inclined, mm-hmm. then it just made an, it was a natural fit. And so like you said, there's a bit of a, a, a void or a stigma with basketball players. Um, basketball players, had always been trend like volleyball players, right? Meaning like way too many plyometrics, uh, like very little focus on like eccentrically uh, loading movements, um, mm-hmm. all those things that you talk about, yep. you do such a good job of that. That stuff wasn't around. It was always just about trying to jump higher, jump higher. And I still, when parents come to me, especially if they come to me with like an 11, 12, 13 year old, or, and this is sad to say this, or uh, an athlete or uh, a kid that, might be a little bit heavier. They're always like, we need to get them faster and more explosive. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to blow their knees out. We're going to make them mm-hmm. tired, make them burned out. The central nerve, you know, so it was, um, yeah, that's, that's what did it. It was just those systems and then the timing and then me just recognizing like, okay, I don't really see a basketball example here. Let me take mm-hmm. what I know will work. Um, and this is the coach side of me talking. Um, and then let me implement and uh, maybe you know copy and paste a few different things based on my knowledge and my skill set and, and what I know that works for me. Uh, it worked for me as a player, and let me do it with these kids. And then and it has. It's been amazing. Um, as a player, I just always worked out, always. Yeah. Like I've always been a six-day-a-week guy. I know the science goes against that, um, you know. One of the guys I look up to more than anything in this field is Tim Karen, and, and he's constantly saying three days a week. And I'm just like, oh. I can't. I can't. Mentally, can't just, I can't. Can't just do it. 
can't. So, um, so, you know, so I've always been a, no matter what, you know, like, I mean, when my sec, my first daughter, you know, she coded in uh, after she was born. Um, she had a really, really, really rough start. Um, every excuse in the world not to work out. I had my bands and while I was in there with her in, in her room while she was struggling to breathe and she was hooked up to monitors, I'm doing band pull-aparts and I'm doing something. I've, I, if I don't do something physically, I'm going to go crazy. Um, but also I just love it so much and it's such an outlet for me. So, um, but yeah, so for the basketball stuff, it's just, it's always been a part of me and I've just always understood that, you know, Jordan did it and it worked for him and he was the greatest of all time. Sorry, LeBron. Um, so for me, it can work as well and, and yep. no excuse. So what if my legs are a little bit sore? Cause I did RDLs or, you know, I did squats. I'm still going to go out there. I'm not going to like complain. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try and kick their ass. Right. Yeah. So, so they know that's my very long winded answer to that question. I'm sorry. No, you're good. And I think, um, I think a lot of people can, you know, learn a lot from that because of the fact that, you know, like you said, I mean, the greatest of all time, you know, MJ did it, you know, Kobe did it. They, they, and they talked about it a lot. If you look at their yep. documentaries, they talked about like what level their game was able to go to once they actually started taking care of their body and actually like doing the little things like eating right. Like they, they were super regimented with every little thing they did. They went to the gym. They, they had their routine. They had their trainers. They were doing things to help elevate their game to the next level. But a lot of people are still kind of stuck in the old school mindset of things in terms of like, well, if I, you know, if I lift too much, it's going to affect my jump shot. If I, mm-hmm. you know, if I do legs and I do too much legs, it's going to affect my bounce. Like I'm not going to be as bouncy, but they don't realize like the science actually shows the opposite. Like you can do things, but you just have to do them the right way and you'll get the result you're looking for. And I think it's like so like, it's just so it's so like it's such a glaring issue um in the basketball world. I feel like it's worse in basketball than any other sport. Um yeah. because you see every other sport. I think the the most common sport you see a lot of like preaching about lifting is always football. Like mm-hmm. American football is probably like the number one sport that gets preached the most. I think basketball is probably the least and then I think second to that um, which is actually turning around quite, quite nicely, but soccer, like soccer was like always a big thing, like soccer, like they never lifted, but now it's actually becoming very popular. If anything, there's a lot of people on the science side of things that are like really into, um, like soccer. So if you like want to learn from some really great, like strength and conditioning coaches, a lot of European soccer guys are actually pretty, pretty big into it now. Um, but as a full-time strength coach, once you transition, Um, and obviously I hate to generalize, but, um, you know, what did you think was like kind of the the glaring issue that you noticed in the world of basketball, um, from a sports performance standpoint at the youth level? Cause obviously if anybody follows you, they know that you are the guy to go to when it comes to like youth training. So it's like, so that's very nice of you to say that I I still, (laughs) I'm still so stuck in like what I do that I don't. I mean, Smitty said something similar when I was in him and Obi's podcast, and I'm just like, "What's like bullshit?" <laughs> I'm just me, <laughs> yeah. But you know, but I take I. That's such a huge honor for you to say that. Um, the huge, so the biggest um, glaring issue with with youth athletes yep. is that what you're saying with youth basketball? Athletes. It was changing the mentality of speed and agility to strength and conditioning. That's mm-hmm. that was the biggest issue. Um, everyone just had have the agility letters out, you know, and it was all yep. about just that. And then uh, usually they'd end up doing like squat jumps, mm-hmm. you know, uh, burpees, like just, just yep. stupid crap, stupid yep. crap, you know, and, and you're like me, you're, you're a huge Jody fan. And he, he preaches about this, like the agility ladder is great for coordination, for foot speed. Um, it, it teaches an athlete how to move their feet to and warm up, you know, spatial you know, awareness. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, in fact, was it you that possibly posted recently? It might have reposted. There was an individual that posted um, that were at an NBA game, I think, or might have been a college game, and there was an agility ladder on the court. Yeah, Walmart, me and, uh, and no one my business it. partner Jerry. Like, yeah, we at, yeah. We were at a we were at a game for my birthday. So okay, and yeah, no we had it. a Knicks game, and they had the agility ladder out there 
<laughs> and Jared thought it was funny. He posted it on Twitter and he was like, my mortal enemy is on the, is on the basketball That's court. That's right. It got used. Right. It got used for like at like literally was just out there, just on the court, laying around. Nobody was using it, but it was out there. It was out oh there goodness. for a good like five or ten minutes, and then they took it away because nobody was. Yep. Using it. So it was oh, actually pretty goodness. funny when you mentioned that. That's yeah, that was great. I'm I'm so happy that I got to see that. But um, that's one of my favorite things about going to games. I get there early mm-hmm. and I see what they're doing. So a lot of resistant band stuff now, like yep. they'll do like monster walks and you know, um so that's good to see. Yeah. Um I, although now I think it's get it's becoming such a, a popular thing to do the same movements that it's almost like losing a little bit of mm-hmm. like what it's there for, but that's okay. Better than the agility ladder. So but yeah, I'd say just the mentality. So introducing proper strength and conditioning with, um, and I hate to talk about them too much because I feel like I'm a, a walking infomercial form, but the CPPS model with, you know, the mm-hmm. proper warm up, um, you know, uh, the upper lower splits, you know, and then also just just following having that database of exercise and following progressions and regressions based on the individual. So it's, it's very, very simple once you get the knowledge and it's just a matter of doing that. So that was the biggest thing was we're not doing speed and agility. If someone comes to me and they're like, yeah, I want to, I want to hire you for some speed and agility. I'm like, I always stop them politely. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I don't really do that. I do strength and conditioning, but guess what? It'll make them faster. It'll make them more agile and it'll make them less injury prone. Absolutely. I think like the biggest thing is understanding the difference. I think like a lot of old, like I, I I can't, I keep beating it like a dead horse at this point, but um, you know, the old school mindset of things and like, kind of like, I think the biggest problem is like, you have the, um, the old school coaches or like the, the old heads that literally come out of the woodworks and they're like, well, this is what worked when I played. Of course. And that's like the biggest issue in the game right now is that like the old heads are always saying in the kids' ears, they're like, well, this is what worked when I played, so you should be doing this. But in reality, there's so many more resources out there now that's saying the opposite. And it's like, well, what do we go with? And I feel like that's like the biggest problem with younger kids now in this generation is like they we have to deal with not only the old heads, but we have to deal with like the TikToks and like the Mm -hmm. Instagrams and and all these other videos that they keep seeing online. Because, you know, aside from when we were younger, when we were younger, information was like scarce. Like we had to like go we had to go far and beyond our means just to like try to find a little piece of information that would give us an edge. Yep. And if we did, it was like the holy grail. Like you had to hold mm-hmm. on to that information and not let it go. And it was like impossible to find it. Like nowadays, it's the opposite. We have like the double-edged sword where it's like we have so much information out there, but now it's like we need somebody to help sift through like what's good and what's bad. Yeah. And like that's right. like that I feel like is like the biggest issue. Cause it's like now it's like, okay, well, there's great information out there. You can learn. You don't even have to pay people most of the time. Like, that's the good thing about the internet. Now it's like you can go on Google and you can be like strength and conditioning for basketball players. And like a whole template will literally pop up in front of you. But it's like, is it good information or is it just BS? And that's like where the the, the disconnect is, I feel. And how well are they doing that program, right? Like you yeah. could take the crappiest program in the world but if you're doing the exercises correctly, you'll get benefit out of it yep. as opposed to taking the greatest program and they're just kind of, you know, doing it, but not doing it properly or exactly. you, know, you can still like get hurt. Doing effort, no intent. Yeah. Like, it's like, and that's like, that's another thing. I feel like kids nowadays, they put in such like half-ass effort when it comes to like what they're doing. So it's like, you can like, you can have a very basic level program, but if you like, if you're the kind of kid that like program hops and like gets really, really bored of what you're doing right away, just because you don't yep. feel like it's doing anything for you, but it's like, have you actually even put a hundred percent effort into that program that you had? Like, I always tell kids, it's like, if you get a program from anybody, like, like whether it's me, whether it's Ben Anderson, whether it's Paul favorites, like any of these like guys that are out there, Joe DeFranco, like you get a program from these guys, stick to it and actually give it like your hundred percent effort. And it's like, watch what will actually come of it. If you actually do it to the best of your ability, like the results are just, 
the results will speak for themselves. But I feel like that's like a big glaring issue with kids nowadays. They don't even like, they don't even understand, like, just do what you have to do and like stick to it and be consistent and just show up and give it your all. I promise the results will be there. Oh yeah, you're right. hundred percent. Right. So with my programming, especially with the high school kids, what I typically do is two week cycles, mm-hmm. but then when I do make, so it's part of a, a bigger thing, right. But it's yeah. every two weeks, I'll try to change it a little bit yep. and then that will get me to my six week journey, which I mean, you very rarely am I able to take anyone through a six week program without having to change a crap load of things. So, yeah, you know, yep. that's just the general thing, but but that's exactly it. And um, I'd say with the TikTok things and and uh, the Instagram videos, like there are some really good things out there. You're, you're putting stuff out there. Thank goodness, because now I can be like, yeah, on Instagram, go see this. So then they're thinking, OK, that's I'm on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Are you on TikTok as well? Yeah. OK, so, yeah, there you go. So I can have them look you up on TikTok, too. So they're already thinking, OK, Ben's saying go to social media to look for this and all right, so there are some good things out there, but I think just a lot of it is just, um, and there's nothing wrong with bodybuilding, that's fine, but it's just too bodybuilding oriented, meaning mm-hmm. it's yeah. rather than training movements, it's training specific parts of the muscle, yeah. which we will implement into our training. Like we'll do medial delt massacres and we'll do things like that, you know, at the end uh, after we've done all the important stuff. But they're thinking that like that's the most important thing to do, and it's to hit a certain angle. And I'm like, okay, well, but we're not being bodybuilding. You're not getting on stage in your undies to, you know, to pose in front of five thousand people and win, whatever. You know, it's it's about playing better and being healthier. So there is a little bit of a battle, and sometimes with certain high school kids, you have to do a little bit of give and take. Like, all right, okay, do this, then go do those concentration curls. Good, go yeah. do them. Let's do it. Okay. And, and, you know, then they, they think they're happy, you know, they're happy having done that. So it's just communication, right? Um, it's not always dismissing the things that are out there because then you become that person that dismisses everything. And then they feel like they can't approach you with anything anymore. So it's like, I'll watch some of the videos if they bring them to me. Oh, okay. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. But here's why I wouldn't do that. And then, or, Hey, let's try that out. And then let's, you know, and we talk about it. So, you know, uh, you can't do that with every kid, but with, mm-hmm. with the kids that are in the gym anyways, you know, you want them to do some things under your guidance. So that way you can like talk about it together and problem solve. And then eventually they're doing what I did with the Arnold Schwarzenegger books and you know, the, the magazines and stuff only they've got the video to go off of and yeah. they're not, you know what I mean? So, so in a way they're kind of doing the same thing, but like you said, there's just the information is just, it's just out there. And then you've got the entertainment value to go with it because there's oh, cool yeah. music and cool graphics and, you know, it's, it's everything goes viral now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I always going back to your bodybuilding thing. It's actually funny. Cause I put out a tweet about this the other day and I was literally just like, I was like, honestly, like there is a place for bodybuilding in training. The problem mm-hmm. becomes when kids only do bodybuilding stuff and none of the athletic that you need yes. to do for your sport. And further to that point, literally, it's like, it's like, can you can add bodybuilding principles into your training and still see results, but you just have to be doing the right stuff first. Like you said, movement based stuff, you got to be sprinting, jumping, doing athletic based things that actually call into play your athleticism, because you're not going to get better as an athlete if you're not doing those things. But you can add principles of bodybuilding in and still get some benefits. Like you can still build some muscle and look good doing athlete-based stuff. Um, You just got to do it the right way. And then further to that, if bodybuilding was the end-all be-all of training, Arnold Schwarzenegger would have been better than Michael Jordan. Like that's all I got to say. It's like if that were the case, Arnold Schwarzenegger would have been the best athlete on the planet. Same thing can go with these powerlifting principles too, because then you have the other side of the coin where it's like oh, yeah. people that only do like powerlifting, Louis Simmons type stuff. Because you know, you and me come from a Joe DeFranco tree, so a lot of what we know comes from the 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 Louis Simmons tree as well. So it's like you have people on the other side of the coin that are like, oh, we're only going to get strong and only do powerlifting stuff. Well, it's like if that were the case, all of Louis's athletes would probably be the best best athletes on the planet at whatever respective sport they played, but no, they were good at powerlifting. So it's like you could take principles from these people, 
but you don't, it doesn't have to be just the only thing that you're doing in your program. You have to be like putting a lot of these, um, athletic based things into your program or else you're not going to see any benefit of it, but you can get benefits out of using principles. I always say principles should usually guide your programming. They shouldn't like, you shouldn't be using one type of methodology over the other. You need to be adding principles and taking stuff from these things and learning from them, not just using them as one end all be all. Yep. I agree. 100%. Yeah, I think the next thing is, um, you know, obviously, um, give me your big rocks. So like your overarching philosophy when it comes to training these kids, like what's your number one philosophy? Well, I mean, a long time ago, uh, I was working as a wellness coach um, in addition to everything I was doing for a company. And they they asked me for what my mission statement was. Mm-hmm. And um, it it came came instantly and it was just to um yeah i mean man it's pretty crazy so to empower um each individual uh, from a uh knowledge uh point of view you know to to empower them so that way they can do these things on their own when they're done so i'm so big about um teaching um not just what we're doing but why and then also addressing it then and there if there is an issue and that's on the court as well so i mean one thing we haven't talked about this but um from the group um of kids that i train um i've actually started a basketball league and just because there aren't too many good referees around, I'm refing all the games. Mm-hmm. And so what I will do, and this is one thing that I think has actually made it so successful, is as the kids um, you know, make a mistake, so whether it's a travel, a double dribble, or if it's a disrespectful thing, I'll stop the game and I'll I'll teach them what they're doing wrong and next time do this. You know, not for too long, because I don't want to take away from the momentum of the game, but I'll do that. And then we get back into the game and it's helped so much with, um, I mean, they still make errors obviously because it's a sport, but uh, their mindset going into the game, they are more conscious of those things that we talk about. So, you know, that's, I, I, I address that with the basketball side of things. And then with the strength and conditioning side of things, we address everything as it happens, but it's all about empowering the individual and, with that, that's how you'll have the most impact. You'll create a ripple effect on that individual's community because if I can take a kid and make them um, enthusiastic about training, then what do we want to do when we're enthusiastic about something? We want to talk about it with the people that are closest to us, right? So they'll tell their friends, they'll tell their parents, they'll tell their grandparents, and then next thing you know, they might even have five or six kids on their street doing what this kid is doing, and hopefully it's all the right things. And then that's how... It's a very corny thing to say, but that's how we can essentially change the world from uh, the for the for the people that are training um, that they're doing things the right way, as opposed to just going and like you know trying to do snatches and hurting yeah. themselves or maxing out every time they lift. Yeah, I think like that's and, and that's a big thing. Education is so key when it comes to younger athletes because you know they're not like us. They don't they don't know the the super sciencey terms. Like they don't know anything like this. I mean, Joe D talks a lot about this. Um, I feel like everything when it comes to you and me is always going to come back to Joe D because that's like who we learned a lot from. So like, that's a big, uh, and he talks about it a lot, like word vomiting to these kids Mm -hmm. and like trying to sound super smart. I feel like a lot of young coaches make that mistake of trying to like sound super smart to like, even like little kids. And it's like, I think the biggest thing when it comes to breaking through with little kids is just try to make things simple for them. Like Mm -hmm. put it in terms that they can understand. Like we know about like what, like, you know, ATP and like mitochondria and like all these like big scientific words, like central nervous system. Like they don't know what that is. Like, like, so if we can try to dumb down what we're trying to accomplish in training to them at such a micro level, like they're going to buy into it a lot more just because of the fact that they understand it better. And then like, on like what you said, like, you know, obviously if we're educating, then obviously it's going to proceed past what we do with their, with our time with them. Yep. And like, they're going to go on and be able to teach it 
to whoever. Like maybe, you know, in several years, like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when they have their own families, they can go ahead and teach these things to their young kids. Like it's just something that I think we got to think from more of a macro level and just think long term. And it's just got to be like, hey, like these are these are lessons that we're teaching them for life, not just right now. Well, they're at the most impressionable age, right? Yep. And um, so everything that my parents exposed me to, and then the experiences I had with my dad, with him telling me those things, he probably might not even remember them as much mm -hmm. as I do. But because they're burned in my brain and they made such an impression on me, and I've, I'm doing it with Kemp, my son, you know, like he has been in the gym right from the beginning, even just like just watching and having fun and I'll oh, push the sled. And and I mean, he knows how to do things just purely based off of monkey see a monkey do better than a lot of high school kids do. Mm -hmm. So at the exact point that you brought up, we can have the type of impression on them that those who influenced us had on us. And that's for life. Like you said, it's for life. And these kids, they're going to go through hardships. They're going to go through, you know, body dysmorphia, eating disorders. They're going to go through abuse, hopefully not, but you know, reality says otherwise, you know, they'll have to, they'll get in a car accident and have to go through rehab. They'll have to go through all of these things. They'll have even um, things that have nothing to do with physical trials. They'll have, you know, trials at work and at school. And what we're teaching them because they're working with resistance, we're teaching them how to use that resistance in their favor and then essentially overcome challenges by meeting goals, right? Yep. And this has nothing to do with basketball anymore. This is mm -hmm. life. And so now we're having a generational impact and we're able to, you know, just pass on some things. You know, I mean, Dave Tate, right? That's what he talks about all the time is to, to learn and to pass things on. And then that way, when we're gone, you know, if we want to talk about it from a selfish side, then our legacy is there. But yeah. I don't give a shit about my legacy. I don't care if anyone knows my name. I don't. I really don't. Um, but I know that what I'm doing is so important. And I know that these kids have bought in and, you know, they they care about me just like I care about them. So they, you know, they might be little jerks sometimes in the weight room or on the court. And I have to put on my disciplinarian hat. But for the most part, they are so respectful and they are so responsive to everything we do because it's fun. They're learning. They're getting stronger. They're feeling stronger. And I mean, dude, that's, I mean, we have the best jobs in the world, really. We yeah. really do. You know, um, we get to put so on I'm, sweatpants. We get to put on sweatpants and go to work. Like a lot of people have to wear a suit and tie and be in a monkey yeah. suit. And, like we get to kind of go and have some fun and be in our sweats all day. I think that's like the best job ever. It, it's fun. I mean, it's so time consuming, right? And it's, we're exhausted when we get home, but you know, um, barring anything horrible happening, which we will deal with as well. We usually sleep really, really well when we do sleep because we have clean consciences where we've put everything into our craft and then it's just like, we're exhausted. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, man. I love that. And then obviously, you know, when we talk about development, I think that's another huge thing that we, you know, especially with young kids, um and again I, I hate to bring it back to joe d but he talks a lot about this too and i really like this analogy but like he threw out this analogy in one of his presentations saying that nobody ever wanted to be the best like sixth grader in, in the world so i think that that's a good way to segue into development um so okay. it's like you know we talk a lot about this and i think it holds true more so in the world of like basketball players and so basically my thing is how do you go about developing a young player over the course of several months or even years? I feel like, you know, development is such a big thing. Um, and you are in a very unique situation where you like, you kind of, you have the players on both the, the strength side of things and like their physical development. And then you also have them on the court as well. So talk mm -hmm. to us about that and like how you've been able to kind of develop this um, overarching philosophy of how you develop these players from such a young age. Because you work with even like younger athletes than I do. So like it, I find it so impressive the stuff that you do with them because it's like I feel like in my experience when I've worked with kids that young, it's very hard to kind of get their attention and to mm -hmm. even get them uh, uh in a place where they can actually can like do something conducive. So I think like my question, that's like my question to you, like, what do you do with these guys? So how, what, what's the youngest age group that you work with? 
I think the youngest I've ever worked with is eight or nine year olds. That's okay. like the youngest I've ever worked with. So yeah. Okay. And uh, so the youngest I go and it, I didn't want to do this, but the demand was there and parents sometimes lie about their kids ages, <laughs> but yeah, I have five-year-olds. So um, it all comes back to this again, Joe D and CPPS, they need to pay us for this, this interview. I know, right? But, this is a big but, fucking uh, infomercial for them. It really is. It really is. But the programming side of things, right? So the way you structure a, a strength training session, mm-hmm. um, it it's all about that. So with younger kids, I just need to look at it. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to be working on. Okay, this is what they're going to be doing in the weight room in terms of the movements I want to train. And then we do our warm up, right? And then we have that basketball portion right there. So it's with the littlest kids, just to be specific to them, basketball is all about movement in multiple directions. It's about um, focusing your eyes on the basketball, which, believe it or not, is very, very difficult for a lot of kids to do because they're so distracted by all of the chaos that's going on on the court, plus the parents on the side, plus, oh, look, there's a shiny dot on the wall over there you know it's kind of like that um you know that movie up with the dog squirrel you know um so some kids are amazing at it and then a a lot of them are just like they just don't know what to do with their attention span so so what i always focus on from the the day one it's moving proficiently forwards backwards and sideways all right and i know that sounds super super basic but not running heavy on your feet you know running light on your feet backpedaling balls of your feet don't because at the beginning when you first have start having kids running backwards at least two or three of them always fall over so so we always talk about okay why are we falling over how do we not do it and then i always ask questions that they can answer confidently Mm -hmm. and then they're then they're teaching each other so but yeah running backwards balls of your feet then we start with bouncing you know side to side and then we'll we'll try to implement karaoke defensive slide so once they get those movements down um then it's a matter of okay now we're introducing the basketball catching passing all right you know the mechanics of using your body and your arms and you know just the simplest basic things but then you go from that to dribbling the basketball which for a lot of kids is really difficult you know they really struggle to apply the force to bring it back up to their waist um some of them drop do it too high so there's that learning factor there and then with the shooting um, it's very, very difficult to shoot uh, shoot correctly right from the beginning. Yep. But lately, I've had way more success with the five-year-olds, and one of the reasons for it, I think, is I'm not em- I'm not emphasizing how to hold the basketball necessarily the perfect way. It's more about emphasizing the follow-through. Yep. Because it's very difficult to hold a dominant hand follow-through while you're shooting with two hands. Because then they're like, oh, you know, so rather than spending a whole bunch of time about placing the dominant hand under the ball, the other hands on the side, that's too much for them. Mm -hmm. And then they always want to lace the ball up with the, you know, the hands. So now it's just a matter of holding the basketball, strong hand under the ball, hold your follow through. And then all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap, I'm not having to spend 15 minutes talking about not holding it. So, so just learning that way and layering the drills down and then implementing a lot of games i think games are huge so um everyone's familiar with like sharks and minnows right those types of games those games are perfect for basketball so that's true agility training it's giving them a target to focus on it's making them use their peripheral vision and then once they get proficient at playing sharks and minnows with um just running around then i have them do it with a basketball yeah right now it's like okay i've got to use my off arm i've got to slow down speed up i've got to keep the ball if they lose control of the ball if they grab it with two hands then that doesn't count or they're out depending on the group so the games really help them teach how to prepare for the real game you know what i mean um so that's been the hugest thing and then the next thing you know like the time's up and we've got to go do our strength training so it it really it's really just a matter of getting them into groups, talking about what we're doing, having them do those things, and then get the games going, teach principles as they come, yep. you know, try not to get too much into the one training session, um, make sure they're having fun. Um, that's a huge part too. And then, and then just, yeah, it's just, you know, and then just having fun with them too. A lot, a lot of times we can get very, very frustrated because we've got all of this planned out and 
no, the training session's not going the way we want to. So now we're only going to get to do two things instead of six things. But that's life. That's how we we have to auto-regulate. So once you are able to let go of, I didn't get through everything on my list, then you're able to relax a little bit. You're able to actually enjoy your time with the kids. You can have fun with them. You can make jokes, You can, but you're still teaching. Um, then you've got a successful program because then now you're developing relationships instead of just checking off things off your list too. Yeah. Um, and so like like I said earlier, so I've with um, my program, now I've offered um, like a league and I've got different categories, right? I've got a low rim league where it's on an eight foot hoop and then mm-hmm. – once they can proficiently make shots on a 10-foot hoop, then they're all on 10-foot hoops. And then now they are with me two to three days a week in the gym training. We even watch game film, like like a two or three clips, and we talk nice. about it. And like, hey, look, that's they, they know who they are on the TV. They're not looking at the NBA players. You know, they're looking at themselves. And they oh, and they're learning that way. And then they're going into their Saturday games with all the things that we've worked on that week fresh in their brains and then we have you know some peaks and valleys but they are improving and it's really really cool to see that that's awesome i really like that just because like you're you're getting it from like all different places like you're you're teaching them the encore education you're getting you're getting them educated in the weight room you're teaching them core principles um so you're you're getting them from all different places so i think that that's great from an all-compassing developmental aspect just because you're getting every little bit of it you're not just getting one little thing i feel like in this industry now i think we're starting to see people shift more and more towards um being able to do both um just because like we're seeing so many guys um like i don't know if you're too familiar with like a lot of like by any means basketball culminaires um guys like that that are doing like more like uh, strength and conditioning and also doing the on-court skill stuff. You got obviously Paul favorites, guys like that, that are doing yeah. all different types of stuff. Um, so like, I feel like that's where the industry is shifting towards. It's shifting more towards guys that are like, they may have started on one side of the coin, but they're getting mm-hmm. more into the other side because they want to be able to, because I feel like performance training, like as strength and conditioning uh, professionals, we're not just kind of, tagged down bogged down to this one lane like it's it's all performance so like whether whether you like it or not you're going to have to be involved in some realm in the skills department because we have to be able to manage stressors we have to be able to we have to be able to know what they're doing in the game like again i hate to beat it like a dead horse but jody talks about it a lot with the whole aspect of you know just watching the game like Mm -hmm. Studying it. Yeah. He worked with a lot of football players. So, I mean, he literally said, like, just sit down, watch a game, have a stopwatch in your hand, time plays, see, like, just get, be able to understand work to rest ratios, Um, little things like that. You could see how many uh, stops, starts, changes of direction. Um, Mm -hmm. You're able to see that just by watching a game. So, the fact that you sit down with the kids and you're able to actually, like, break it down to them, like, be like, hey, that's you on the screen, like, watch. Like, this is what we're looking for. This is what you're doing here. This maybe you should have done this next time. Like you're educating mm-hmm. them on these little things in the game. I think that just goes such a long way, um, especially for long term development. Like we talk about it all the time. Like we're not trying to build the best five year old right now. We're trying to create better, better athletes in the future as they get older, where it actually matters. You know, especially if any of these kids have aspirations of playing at a higher level one day. Like we yep. want to make sure we're we're treating them for the long term, not just for right now. And that's the the end goal with them. And I tell them this all the time. I'm like, I'm preparing you so that way you can go to a tryout and everything from your body language to the way you move to the way you communicate with the coach to the way you receive instruction, your um your terminology, like everything is ready. So that way you have every chance possible of making whatever that team is, regardless of your skin color, your last name, your political, you know, connections with the schools, which is huge here in this area. Oh my goodness. So, and, and that's what I'll tell them. I'm like, I'm like, there are coaches that will hate you because of your mom or, you know, or cause you're black or because you're Asian. Like it's a real thing. I never used to Mm -hmm. think that was a thing because I was so naive, but I've seen it. I've seen some of the best players that I've trained not get any minutes on the court just because their mom wasn't, you know, doing something to like off the court to kind of like push them. 
And it's really sad. So that's why I'm like, I'm huge on those little things and addressing them as that happens. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always make me the most popular guy because some people get really sensitive. Like, you know, why did you talk to my son about that? Well, because I'm, I love your son and I'm trying to make him the best he can because he's not going to be six, four. He's only going to be five, 10. So if JC is the best we can go, let's get him to that level so we can get free education and then he can go on to do other things. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's huge. And then, so that, what I talked about was just with the five-year-olds and then obviously there's layers as they get older, when they get to the group that you work with and then high school and you know, there's so many things. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think the biggest challenge with working younger with you uh, working with younger athletes is? So when you say younger, do you mean just generally speaking? Like I guess middle school or like even like maybe even into high school. What do you think the biggest challenges are with working with the younger athletes, I guess? For middle school and high school, it's by this stage of their lives, they've either, yeah, most of them, I would say they now have this mentality of I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. You ask a five or a six year old. They will say they're the best, right? But now, whether it's been through bullying or through comparing themselves to someone else, now it's a matter of they need permission to shine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's that really great Marianne Williamson quote that I think everyone should have like printed out and nailed to their wall about, you know, our biggest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our biggest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. Go and read that whole thing. And that is... I read that thing once a week it's at least. And that. I was literally watching Coach Carter like last oh, night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I love I'm that. I'm serious. It's, it's the best thing because that's my job. Mm-hmm. That, that is ultimately my job. It's to give them every single reason possible to go out there and shine. And that might only be playing good defense. That might be doing a really good weight room workout and the basketball stuff is still sucking. You know, that's all it is because – if I'm not doing that, then I'm failing them as their coach. Absolutely. So, so that's the biggest issue, Julian, is it's helping them with their self-esteem yep. and letting, letting them know like, yes, you can go out there and do this. You know what I mean? And if you fail, guess what? Cool. I failed. You know, you failed. Jordan failed. Like, even though he's the greatest, he still lost, you know? So it's, it's about that. That's, and I know that's not like a very specific in terms of training or sport, but it's it's up here. So, you know, if if we're not thinking that we can, then we won't. Yeah, I think and to be honest with you, I think that's something that's becoming more and more of a thing now in sports is the mental aspect of things. So I'm glad you brought that up because it it is a really big problem. Um, there are, you know, there's a lot of NBA guys that have come out over the last several years that have literally like mental health is a big thing. Um, so what are some tips that you might have for coaches? with dealing with younger athletes that are dealing with confidence issues? What are some things that you could probably give out to young coaches that are going through the similar things that could help them, uh, their athletes out? Um, let them know that you're there for them. Uh, even if they don't open up to you, like constantly remind them that they're doing a good job and that you're there to help them ask them specific questions. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes the smaller insignificant questions can be the window into the bigger question of their mental health. Uh, don't be afraid to tell them that they're doing something wrong uh, because they need to hear that too. To, uh, and then I think just providing them with, with a healthy, uh, positive environment um, that when they come into your facility, that it's their safe place. And then that will their parents will notice that because that's the biggest um, feedback I get from parents. It's like, Oh, you know, thanks so much for your program. It's really changed. So, and so we never thought he could do this, you know, just all of these things. And it's just like, it's just because I've been able to give them a place where they can develop. You know what I mean? And um, I'm not going to be successful at all time. You know, I'm not going to be the best fit for everyone. Sometimes I'll say some hard things, um, but it's always, always, always with the best of intentions. So I I just think it's always about communication, giving them opportunities to shine. And then when they fall, that you're there to pick them up and then you're, you're there to talk about it and then 
just kind of be there to help them and you're literally coaching them and then that will filter into their other um their life you know yeah i mean i think you you, um you hit it right on the head with all that um i think my next follow-up for that would be um you know you obviously have you mentioned it you kind of like you have to have those hard-hitting conversations with a lot of kids um where do you feel like the biggest issue is when it comes to towing the line with being the you know the the guy that's there for you like stuff like that but then also being the guy that you know i gotta have this hard conversation with you um where is um what advice might you have for uh a lot of coaches out there that are dealing with that problem and when is it okay to be the guy that you know the the shoulder to cry on type guy and then also being the disciplinary and also, like, I have to kind of have these tough conversations with you. Like, where do you fall on that? I don't feel like there's much of a difference. I think they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. Because then that's who you are, you know. You're you're there out of love and you're there to help. But also, you're going to be um, saying some sobering, truthful things because that's your daily conversation with them, you know. And, and that's hard sometimes because some kids will – feel like they develop a relationship with you where they can say certain things or um they can suggest certain things and then when you say ah, actually no you know and, and then they're like oh you know then they but then you like you follow that up with uh but that's good you know like you give them that compliment on either side of the coin and then the the constructive pieces in the middle but i think the more times you have the opportunity to have the harder conversation with them and you don't do it the harder it becomes to have it because you're kind of like sweeping it under the rug. And it's the easiest thing in the world too, especially if you want to go home and you got a family. Um, my last training session of the night, we never finish on time ever, ever. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point now where the parents don't even bother trying to come pick them up, pick them up until 45 minutes after the training session is scheduled. Yep. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, I get so, that. Yeah. hundred percent. No, but, um, I guess my, my next question would be, what do you feel like is the biggest mistakes that you see in the profession when coaches approach training younger athletes? Uh, putting the bar on their back way too early, mm-hmm. having them do uh, just the things we talked about earlier, like yeah. herpes. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that sprawl movement. Mm-hmm. I first learned that through studying MMA. Um, mm-hmm. I think the sprawl is fantastic, but just doing burpees to do them, I think is, is silly. Um, having them just focus purely on explosive things is a mistake mm-hmm. because it's that, oh, we're going to say his name again. That's that dirty thing of you want to be able to fly the plane and land the plane, right? So yeah. um, a lot of times from a psychological component with the kids, the first thing, if we're doing a half kneeling shoulder press, right, with the dumbbell mm-hmm. in a neutral grip position, they want to go up fast, they want to come down fast. And then I always say, especially to the boys, I'm like, hey, if you're strong, you'll come down slow. But if you're not, that's okay. You're, you might be weak. You know what I mean? Like, because there's some playful banter there. Because no kid wants to be told they're weak. I'm not weak. Yeah. Okay, I'll come down slow. So it's being able to talk to them that way. So, yeah. But yeah, we need to make sure. And there's a great book by Tim Carron every coach should get. It's called Strength Deficit. Um, look that up. But it's all about um, properly um, programming tempo movement so that way the eccentric is there as well as the concentric and that's going to not only increase muscle mass and performance but it's also going to reduce the risk of injury greatly yeah i love that that, that's the biggest one yeah i saw that was um you went out to his gym right recently oh man yeah he uh he's was doing something called muscle mentorship Mm -hmm. uh, over the last i want to say five or six years and i was fortunate enough to go out uh last year and the year before and um Oh, it was the best thing ever. Like the best training experience for myself. But then I learned so much. And, and then now I've got the, uh, the Vold instruments, uh, the ALD. So I, tonight I'm going to try and learn how to hook up the four stacks. But yeah. I've got the uh, dynamometer going already. And I'm already doing range of motion, motion tests with the kids now and grip strength stuff. And it's, I'm, I'm geeking out like crazy, but Love very it. expensive, but definitely worth it. Love it, man. And then the last thing that I got for you, big question time. So if you could go back in time and give a younger Ben Anderson any piece of advice early on in your coaching career, what would it be and why? In my coaching career? Oh, okay. Could be coaching, could be player, 
life, whatever, whatever piece of advice you want to give, it doesn't have to be necessarily training. I mean, the, the common thing that a lot of people say that are successful now is I wouldn't change anything because then it would affect, you know, there's that. So I yeah. want to say that, but um, if I could tell my younger player self, I would say, because this, you know, this is, you're embarrassed to say these types of things, but there are a couple of times where I didn't commit all the way. Yeah. I, I feel like when things get hard, even though, I did a really good job of it, but there are a couple of instances um, in my playing career where I could have stayed the course a little bit longer and um, maybe not mentally given up so much. I think that mm -hmm. for me was huge. I think focusing on nutrition as a player was, I didn't do it at all. I mean, yeah, I think my time. diet was horrible. I didn't drink hardly any water. Um, I didn't eat anything. I felt like I just like ate the bare minimum, you know? And I think part of that was justified by in the, one of the Michael Jordan books, he talks about um, how people would say he ate like a bird. And now I'm understanding that that's not a good thing. But yep. when I was reading it as a kid, I'm thinking, Oh, okay. Michael Jordan didn't eat that much. So I don't need to eat that much either. Uh -huh. And it wasn't that I wasn't hungry. It's just, I wasn't forcing myself to eat all of the important things. Yes. Um, so that would have been interesting. So I would have said, stay the course, no matter what happens and, um, and educate myself on nutrition. Now, when it comes to the coaching side of things, uh, I think I should have got out of the commercial gym just a little bit sooner. Yeah, because I was in there for eight years, and that system it was fantastic because I was able to train anyone at any time on anything. Because if you come in with me on a Monday night at five p.m., what do you want to train? Mm -hmm. a Monday chest, night. right? Yeah, yeah. most yeah. likely you're gonna want to train chest. Not you, Julian, but like a guy, right? No, you know, in general, like that's it's chest day, international chest day. One hundred percent. But are there any free benches? None. None. So, so I was able to really adapt and train anyone in any environment based off of the chaotic nature of the commercial gym. So, but um, the bad part about being in in that facility for as long as I was is I had the, I was basically spoon fed clients, so I didn't have to find anyone. Yeah. I I was I had the belief that I couldn't do it on my own. So when the time came um there was a lot of self-doubt there a lot mm -hmm. of self-doubt but that's when i had really already dove into the cpps stuff and i had an internship with uh university of utah at the time and uh, the wellness thing going so i was very fortunate to have these other things to occupy my my free time that i had at that time so i would just say probably get out of there two years earlier and then go and bet on yourself and and, and you'll be fine but i mean uh, yeah i'm I mean, I'm not the richest guy in the world by any means, but I'm finally at a point now where I'm like, I, I, I look at my life and I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it all a house. I never thought I'd have a house. Uh, my, I just got my wife a car last year. I never thought I'd be able to do that. Like, just little things like that. And then now I've got all these ridiculous waiting lists for these, these, um, these classes. And I'm just like, I mean, all I'm doing is what I feel like everyone should be doing. What's so special about me? But then when i have these conversations with guys like you i'm like okay me and you and you know like sean hayes and and you know all these guys i really look up to and my colleagues like we we really are kind of few and far between because it's a very um uh, populated profession isn't it yeah it's starting so, to become more and more of a growing field so like there's a lot of you know there's a lot of growing competition but i always tell people that like it's not really competition it's like this is a big time field where you could literally build a network of people that you can continue to learn from i feel like that's the biggest problem in our industry right now is that we view everybody as competition and then we breed a we breed a kind of mentality that like we have to build this massive ego mm -hmm. and i feel like that's the biggest issue is i feel like and I tell people all the time when I, like, even with this platform, like with this podcast, you know, I built this podcast because I genuinely, I use it to learn from people like you, like, you know, I, I invite people on because I genuinely enjoy what you guys do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I use it as a platform to not only educate people out there for, 
you know, from an educational perspective of like what you should be doing. Um, but I also use it as a way to boost my own knowledge base because, you know, as a coach, you know, we're educating the the future generations of tomorrow. And it's like, what kind of a person would I be preaching all these things to younger athletes all day long when I'm not doing the same thing? So I even like, I love, I love it for that purpose. Also for motivation. I mean, your last show that you did with that gentleman from New York, like I I listened to that twice this week, just driving to and from work. And, and you guys talked about that very thing about networking rather than crapping on the competition. And to be honest with me, like I don't have enough time to even know who my competition is. (laughs) So, uh, so I don't really, I'm not crapping on anyone, you know, Uh, and there are so many kids in this world. So like, uh, obviously we want them all to train our way, but at least they're doing something if they're a part of another program yes. too, you know? So, you know, but yeah, no, thank you, man. It's anytime. Yeah. Man. We, we learn from you too, just by talking about our, our journeys and then your, your insight. And I can't say enough about you have the most, um, well-rounded, uh, intellectual, but there's some entertainment involved. Plus there's like, just very important posts that you do like the really like you'll take that. like you'll take some footage from today's game and then you'll put you know, like your two cents into what's going on and and you ask really good questions so yeah. i think everyone needs to do it well hopefully not everyone does what you do because then you know we wouldn't pay attention to you so much maybe yeah. but yeah what you're doing is just um you know you're becoming essentially that dark horse of the industry in terms of of what we should be posting and, and what we should be paying attention to in terms of social media. Appreciate that, man. It really means a lot. But uh, lastly, where can everybody find you? I feel like that's like, you know, I'll, and if you got anything going on that you want to like, let people know about, definitely do so. Okay. Um, so I'm not as big on social media as yourself. Uh, I, I was posting quite a bit for a while, but now I'm just, I haven't been able to commit as much time to it, but Instagram is my main um, platform that I use and it's at breakthrough SC. Um, I have a website, which I don't really put much on, but it's, there's something there. It's uh, breakthroughsc.com. And then as for things coming up, nothing that I can really um, divulge ad- advertise, you know, right now, but there are some, some really cool opportunities coming up in terms of creating content um possibly uh, a book whether it's ebook or something that's hardcover in the mix coming up i'm i'm i know that i've got a bunch of things in my brain i need to put down on paper and um i feel like now's the time to at least start creating so um now it's just a matter of what am i going to do in terms of what am i going to talk about what am i going to focus on but i would essentially love to create essentially a uh, becoming a supple leopard version of what we do yeah. you know what i mean Hundred percent. That would be fun. That's awesome, man. I hope the you gotta let me know when that's coming out. But uh, again, man, I appreciate you nonetheless. This has been amazing. I know a lot of people are gonna take some great nuggets away from this. So again, I really appreciate your time and thank you again. Okay, thank you, Julian. <laughs>